Hello and welcome back to the card pool. I'm your host, Stu. And I'm Kyle. And we're looking at part two today from our set known as Exodus. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the hidden gems that we found. Now, this is also the ones that we think are better than the ones in our previous video, so take note. Yeah, these are these are the the, the, the creme de la creme, as we like to say. I just like how that flows off the tongue. It's a nice, nice, nice word. <laughs> Sounds like a rich dessert. But we're going to start off our list with number five here. So we're going to dive right on into the pool of cards. And I'm going to be talking about another listed. This one is called Dominating Listed. It costs three mana, one generic, and double blue for a 1-1 body that is a listed. And it has the ability to go ahead and tap for the same amount of mana it does to cost it, one generic and double blue, to make it so that this creature loses its ability and becomes a creature that's an enchantment that reads gain control of enchanted creature and oh god these always kill me i know i'm butchering up these reads again <laughs> god you know what you read this one i can't do it yeah well this one you gain control of the enchanted creature uh it becomes an enchantment that's not a creature you then move the listed onto target creature and you can tap one blue to end this effect and turn it back into a creature so like you were saying, Stu, it's kind of an interesting spin on a theft sort of effect. And especially if, uh, as long as it's already been in play or you let it have haste in some way, one that can happen at instant speed, potentially multiple times in a turn, that's a very interesting and potentially powerful tool to have access to. Yes, it is. And it's a little bit more stronger than the other listed, hence why it's on this list, because this comes out turn three. Right, and most commanders are trying to come out turn three. Now, depending on how high their mana cost is, that's not possible. But for others, once this hits the field, they are totally disincentivized to go ahead and cast it because if you lose your commander, you pretty much lose most of what your deck is centered around. Not every deck is like that, some of them can function without that. But in general, having this effect to kind of hose a deck down by having that much control. From just this little 1-1 creature that's also hard to hit, no less. Being able to, at instant speed, remove this, release the creature, and return it back to them is kind of really powerful. Oh, definitely. And just releasing the creature, unlike the last listed we talked about, won't stop spot removal from working. So you'll be able to save your listed creature, but they'll still be getting rid of their own creature, usually no matter whose control it's under at the moment. So it's hard to kill, hard to play around, especially, like I said, if you give it haste and have the ability to do this multiple times in the same turn. Yeah, and, and it's great. It's it's so powerful for what it does, and it's blue at its core. It's exactly what you want to be doing if you're a blue player. That control, that fear, that saying, nope, this creature is pretty much taking it in. And it, honestly, a lot of these creatures are really powerful, and they're just they're just a doozy to try to figure out exactly where they go and where they belong. But this one itself just seems generically good on its own and a little less subtle. But moving on to your number five, Kyle, what do you got going? All right. Well, mine's a little more straightforward. So number five on my list is Sultari Visionary. Now, this is a white cleric creature that costs one generic uh, and double white. And it's a 2-2 with shadow, which means it can be blocked or, or be blocked. It can block or be blocked only by creatures with shadow as well. However, if Sultari Visionary damages a player, destroy target enchantment that player controls. So shadow was an ability that existed in the Tempest blocks, like Tempest, Stronghold, Exodus, 
And it was basically just another take on some sort of evasive mechanic like flying where, you know, you can only block a creature with flying with another creature with flying. Shadow is the same way, except it had the added drawback of creatures with shadow can't block creatures that don't have shadow. So it's kind of an interesting spin on the whole unblockable sort of uh, way of doing things. However, my point with this card is that when it attacks and successfully does damage, or really does damage in any way outside of that, destroying an enchantment and getting rid of an extremely problematic card type that for a lot of decks is hard to interact with is very relevant. Especially because outside of removal, they can't stop this from working. It's going to swing and it's not going to be blocked. Yeah. Well, you could inherently have cards with Shadow, but the likelihood that you're going to run into that is slim to none at this Very point. small. And this is actually kind of White's version of Trigon Predator. However, it can't hit artifacts like Trigon can, but it just has a way better form of evasibility, which is like what you're saying. And we do see this kind of effect like Shadow throughout Magic here and there, like Horsemanship was another one that you see, Forest Walk, Swamp Walk, etc., etc. So it's definitely really good. But the thing is, it's also not a May. You have to go ahead and destroy something. So if your opponent doesn't have anything out, you're going to have to hit your own enchantment, which is the only real drawback I can see on this card. But it, it, I'm assuming also is Oracle as being a human, and humans are a big tribe out there. But even if not, clerics, there's a great amount of clerics that you see throughout Magic as well. So this does have home in tribal strategies. It's a solid piece in white and a definite solid budget option for that too. Agreed. Well, it's pretty straightforward and simplistic, uh, unlike pretty much all of your cards. Let's go into number four here. Yeah, I like to make you think. I, and also, I can't read them, so it's its own, you know, did I actually choose the card? Yes. Um, all right, moving on to my number four, Balross Dungeon. Now, this costs four mana, two generic, and two black for an enchantment. Any player may pay five life during his or her turn to destroy this card. All right, that's the first thing right there. We don't even know what it does, so I'm already getting excited. Are you getting excited, Kyle? <laughs> a little bit. All right. Choose and discard a card. Target player chooses a card in his or her hand and puts that card to the top of his or her library. Place ability as a sorcery. So what does this do? It says very simple. Any player can go ahead and destroy this. This makes it so you can go ahead and discard your cards to the top of the deck or discard them to make it so somebody loses their hand. You inherently are making discarding it a whole different way. Usually in black, we see it's like, all right, I'm playing an instant sorcery to make a person lose a card in their hand. Or I have a creature that when it goes ahead and deals damage, I can make them discard. However, now I can kind of one for one you to make it so you lose your hand and I'm fine. Not only that, any player can go ahead and use this card. This is a political card to go ahead and make it so that people are top decking. And this is a very scary card because if certain players need to have cards in their hands to activate certain effects or they are like dying to a board state and they don't have any options in their hand, you are inherently smothering them out of the game. And this is a very powerful free effect that you get. It's incredible. I've never seen this before. It's, it's really weird. I mean, the ability that people have to be able to turn it off is maybe one strike against it, although five life isn't, you know, necessarily inconsiderate for, like, or, or inconsiderable for, you know, do, being able to just make somebody pay that for four mana, maybe. But it's just a weird card. It's difficult to evaluate because I don't really know where there's a home for this. 
Um, however, you did point out, Stu, that there are, are some decks that can make use of the discard ability, like um, the Gitrog monster or a Bone Miser or a similar card. They all, they're like both like discarding certain types of cards to gain card advantage, potentially even drawing more cards, generating bodies, generating mana. And the, honestly, putting cards on, on top of the deck instead of discarding them might be even worse because then they're just redrawing the same cards. They don't even go to the graveyard. The graveyard, as we know, is a huge source of advantage in Magic these days. So not putting them in the graveyard and instead putting them back on top of the deck is an even worse form of punishment than just getting rid of your hand? <laughs> I don't know. It could be, but also, like, one of the things is, like, if you're using Living Death or Rise of the Dark Realms, like, this is a card that's perfect for you. You go ahead, you deplete your hand, you deplete somebody else's, and again, this stays out as long as there's no spot removal. They have to pay the five life on their turn. So even if the next player doesn't want to go ahead and pay the life, they get the effect. This this can easily go around the table, no problem. And I wasn't even thinking of a card like Bone Miser with this. You could inherently make it so all players lose their entire hands on top of their deck. You have a status of like anything that you need either on the board, mana, cards in hand, and you should be able to take the game from that. That's wild. I was thinking more like political standoffs, which, you know, you do it when your board is set, and this is kind of your way to close out the game. But, wow. Yeah, I I think this card is severely underrated, and it's a super budget option. Well, which is true. I don't think it necessarily scales very well to multiple players. I mean, in 1v1, I could see this being very oppressive, potentially. However, if when you have, like, three or four players at the table, you can't possibly discard your cards fast enough to keep everybody in check unless something ridiculous happens. So it gets a little bit weaker for that. However, it's certainly not inconsiderable, even so. Well, even still, fourth turn, we'll say this comes out in a slower game, people will be playing lands, casting spells. They're not going to have seven cards in hand. So they, some player might have only two cards. Another one might have three or four. Depending on what you have and if you've been able to create some sort of combo to draw cards or get plus ones to your hands, you could inherently take out multiple players at the same time. As I mean, you'll be out yourself, but that's still an option, and that's a powerful option at that. Yeah, weird card. Interesting. <laughs> it makes you. you think. Yeah, all my cards, I like making the ones that make you think. But moving on to yours, Kyle, what is your number four? All right, well, my number four is a similar sort of vein to that. Mindless Automaton. Now, this is an artifact creature that costs four mana to play, comes in as a 0-0, zero, zero, but enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters. So it has two abilities. You can either tap one of any mana, choose and discard a card to put a plus one plus one counter on it, or remove two plus one plus one counters from it to draw a card. So this is not really anything flashy. It's not... Uh, an amazing rate. It's a decent rate, but it's not an amazing rate for, for what it does. The reason I like this card a lot is because it goes in any deck, and that means any deck has access to basically what is a self-replenishing card-drawing looting machine. And it can be used in pretty much any deck or strategy. It's generally okay because you play it for four. If you kill it off, you can draw one card, which is okay, I guess. But if you're a deck that likes to discard cards and draw cards, this could definitely be a consideration. Not to mention the fact that if you're playing a deck with any kind of counter manipulation, like Hardened Scales, for example, 
this gets silly pretty quickly with the amount of advantage it can generate. Yeah. I, originally, you look at this card, you're like, four mana to draw a card doesn't sound good. However, when you start using this in the realm of, like, a creature or, like, other cards that got printed out, more modern ones, it's great. And, I mean... With Micaeus, inherently, you can go ahead and draw a card very easily. You bring this thing back out. You'll It won't kill itself because it has uh, three counters on it, but you can go ahead and put more counters on there. You can manipulate. Like That's the great thing about this card. It, it's just so elegant in how simple it goes into certain things. And it's just because it deals with counters, and it can go at instant speed, and it's not a tap effect. It's it's a very strong card. It's a classic old-school magic card, and it's been reprinted for good reason. Definitely a budget option, like we say with so many other cards, but I think a pretty good one, honestly, considering it goes in almost any deck. Yeah, and if you care about artifacts like a Brea deck, this is easy to call home with. But for moving sure. on to my number three, Kyle, and three is a magic number. So we'll be looking at a card here called Limited Resources. Now, this is an enchantment that costs one planes. And it reads, when Limited Resources comes into play, each player chooses five lands he or she controls and sacrifices the rest. As long as there are ten or more lands in play, players can't play lands. So, oh. this... Yeah, it's, it's not land destruction. <laughs> now, it doesn't feel as bad as like an Armageddon or something hit in the field because you are still giving people lands, but it's going to hurt. And the whole point about this thing is to be able to put a legit like cap on certain players that are going ridiculous. Now, this hits lands. It doesn't hit mana rocks. So if you're running a lot of mana rocks, this can give you a plus over your opponents. And for decks that care about land drops, they are completely cut off. And, like, if you were to go ahead and lead this on, like, a deck with, like, eight and a half tails as the commander, you can keep this scenario going for as long as you want, but just go ahead and protect the enchantment, and you have legit, legit control over the entire game. This is a scary card with big implications for one mana. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean... One mana for potentially locking down land drops, I, which is a very real scenario as long as there are multiple players in the game. Even in, even in 1v1, it's not necessarily uh, too far out of the realm of possibility. Honestly, this is the reason I am kind of on the fence about this card overall is that it can be very swingy. Like, if you're ahead... This can definitely, if you're ahead already, this definitely can put the nail in the coffin and make sure that you stay ahead like a lot of your know, Armageddon-type land destruction can. If you're behind already, might not be quite as good. However, in Commander, we know the Commander tax and replaying Commanders over and over again is a very real thing. So capping somebody at five lands means that, realistically, they might not be able to play their Commander after a certain point, which is a very bad situation to be in. Yeah, and it's going to take some mad time to go ahead and regrow from that because players have already used a good bit of their ramp already in the early games. Now, this also isn't really a card to like play out turn one. You would want to hold on to this and potentially wait for after a board wipe. You go ahead, you populate the field as best as you can, and then it's literally like putting a glass case over it. It's like, all right, I'm holding this here. This is the cake inside. No one's getting to it. This is like my protection right here. Obviously, you're in a bakery or something for this scenario to work. But legit, you're having like a force field over the lands, and nobody can go beyond that. Anything that's inside is what you have. And 
if you go ahead and you ramp out, like this with green would be incredible. You go ahead, you play a land, you do like Kadama's Reach, Soccer Tribe Elder, you get so you have like six lands and there's a couple other in play. Go ahead, close the gates. Make it so nobody else can play anything. They're stuck at one or two lands or something like that. It, it, it's going to feel bad for them, <laughs> but it might feel really good for you. And this isn't even in blue. This is white. This is like amazing form of control right here. I don't know if it's the kind that I like, but it is pretty good. I got to admit. Yep. I've never seen this in an Enchantress deck. I no, me neither. Don't like Zer. Like Zer would love this because you bring this out and you keep bringing stuff out. Like what's going to stop you at this point? I, I don't know how I've never seen this card before. Yeah, no, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I have no idea. What do you got for us at number three, Kyle? All right, well, mine similarly costs one white, but it's a very different sort of card. It's Soul Warden. Now, this is a 1-1 cleric creature with a simple effect. Whenever any other creature comes into play, game one life. Again, not flashy, not complicated, but I couldn't go through the set without giving a shout-out to the original Soul Sister, as we like to call these creatures that gain you life for other creatures. I mean, this is just such a solid card on so many levels. Like, great value. The fact that it gives you life for anyone else's creatures, not just your own, is what really sells it, in my opinion. There are ones that exist where you just gain life from your own creatures. There are also, like, authority of the consoles that you just gain life from other people's creatures. Just blanket gaining a life every time anybody plays a creature or puts a token into play or anything like that is just uh, potentially very powerful. Obviously, it's a little skewed toward decks that like to gain life or use that sort of thing as an advantage. Combination with something like Dawn of Hope, for example, every time someone plays a creature, you draw a card, basically. So in addition to gaining life. It's just a very, very solid card. Comes out turn one, feels absolutely great. <laughs> I agree with you, and it's always in a lot of human tribal kind of builds. It's I, life's the only thing like I just don't really care about foreign commander because it just doesn't mean much when you can go ahead and lose to commander damage. But that's my personal opinion for this. But this card here, it does do value. It works great for like an Aether Flux Reservoir or like a Felwar Sovereign. If I'm saying these cards correctly, I hope I am. Um, it, for those kind of decks that do care about life, this does it so simplistically. It's like, would you rather this or a Sarah Ascendant? Sometimes you're not sure which one's better in those kind of regards because Sarah's Ascendant is only good for a few hits as because you usually get stopped in this. Soul Warden will just sit there and keep getting you life. So if you go ahead and use tokens, you get the effect because it's not an ETB or it's not a cast effect. It's whenever it enters. So it is an ETB effect. And that's what really makes it so strong. Exactly. So yeah, I wouldn't shove it into just any deck. Like I said, it usually depends on whether or not your strategy revolves around gaining a lot of life. Because like you said, life is kind of a, a resource you use in Commander. It's not necessarily one you care about boosting up uh, as often. But hey... Great, great card for a lot of different decks out there, whether it's token deck, whether it's a life gain deck, anything. So moving on to my number two, if you don't mind, Kyle. Now, this is one I think you'll like because you are a blue player. This one is called Fade Away. Now, this is a three-drop sorcery. It costs two generic and an island. 
and it reads, for each creature, that creature's controller pays one, or they sacrifice a permanent. So in blue, you don't really see forms of spot removal or necessarily even mass like board destruction. Usually it's bounced up to the hand with like a cyclonic rift or return a, a permanent to the hand. Like they're able just to kind of like, all right, we're done with this for a moment. I'm just going to slap it away. It's like a mosquito. It just keeps coming back. This can get around that, which is really great because you're casting this on your turn. It's a sorcery. Most of the time, you're the only one with mana open. Now, some player might have a couple lands untapped or a few mana rocks, so they might be able to go ahead and use some mana to prevent this effect. However, most players are not. If they have a big board state, this is really going to hurt because if they want to keep a creature, they have to lose something else, which means a land, an enchantment, a planeswalker, anything else. So this is, I'd say probably a heavy hitter for blue in the forms of mass removal. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to me. Like, is this necessarily better than something like, say, I'm not even going to compare it to, like, Cyclonic Rift. Is this better than something like, say, Evacuation, where for five mana you can bounce all creatures rather than uh, trying to go through a weird taxing, sacrificing sort of thing? Most of the time, I would argue no, Evacuation is probably better. However, there are some times where this might be the better option. Uh, it's only really useful against decks that play a lot of creatures, because if it's your generic mid-rangey creature sort of deck, they have like two or three creatures out there. Paying one mana for each one, assuming they're not like dumb enough to have tapped out, isn't really going to be a big deal. However, like you said, there are certain circumstances, like if you're playing against a deck that mass produces creature tokens, this is basically going to be a three-mana board wipe against them. And that's something that Blue doesn't really have a lot of access to. Well, and also, this is a one-sided effect, because when you choose this, you too also have to pay this, which sounds bad at first. But the more you think about it, it means you can choose when to drop it, and you can choose to keep your creatures alive. So depending on how the whole board is set up, this is going to affect everybody and mainly leave you alone. And if you do try to compare this to another card, this is kind of like Tabernacle. This is a one-turn Tabernacle kind of effect, except they can go ahead and save their creatures by losing a different permanence. That's the only difference in that card. And Tabernacle is like almost two grand for a land right there. So being able to get that effect for a quick one turn, and again, you can give this instant speed through a variety of ways because you are in blue. You can recur this because you are also in blue. You can go ahead and fork this because you are in blue and repeat this effect because you're in blue. Like this this is so good in Is It because Is It doesn't really have a lot of creatures out there, but they're always facing huge creature armies all the time. So being able to get this effect to go off a couple times, like if you had this effect go off twice, right? They have to pay two mana, which they're already not going to have a lot of mana open, or sacrifice two permanents. Yikes, that's really going to hurt and take their board presence down to a whole other level. Well, that's true. And the fact that it forces you to consider all permanents, including lands, can be another uh, thing to its advantage. So, hey, just another good option for blue removal that in a color that generally struggles to really like you said get rid of things in any permanent sense worth considering probably yeah i, I that's why i'm talking about it but number two cal what do you guys to see 
All right. Well, I got my own blue card at number two, and this one is Forbid. Now, this is a blue instant, costs three to play, one uh, generic and two blue, and it's another buyback spell. So it's just a generic three-mana counter spell, counter target spell, and then for buyback, you can discard two cards to rebuy it rather than sending it to the graveyard. Now, I just had to mention this card because it is one of my favorite counter spells, simply because, again, of the buyback. And in this case, discarding cards from your hand, does it hurt a little more than paying life like the last buyback card we talked about? Yeah, it does. However, you need to consider that you're in blue. You're probably drawing lots of cards. Maybe you don't even have a cap on your hand size anymore, which is entirely possible given all the different uh, weapons you have at your disposal. Discarding a couple cards to have a counter spell that keeps coming back and you can at least even the threat of continuing to play it sometimes is enough to discourage other people from doing anything. Not to mention the fact that I wouldn't even consider playing this card if I wasn't playing a deck that liked putting things in the graveyard. So it, no matter what way you look at it, though, it's uh, a reusable counter spell is pretty amazing thing to have. Yeah, it's a recurrable cancel, and you don't have to always pay the buyback. Now, you should if you have the option of doing it. And even if you're not dealing with something that deals with the grave, it's still just good on its own. Because how often do you have a card in your hand you're like, I don't need this anymore, or this doesn't matter, or I don't need this mana rock, or, or this, I already have this, or this is useless. Like, go ahead, throw out the garbage, keep this in your hand. And like you said, knowing a counterspell is in somebody's hand is terrifying for any player. Like, you, we know the whole story of like, all right, you see two untapped islands. All right, don't walk into that counterspell. Even if they don't have it, they already have an advantage on you because they have instilled fear into you. This is the other way around. You said no to something, and now they know again that you can say no to something again and again and again. So right, right there, its own mind game, it gives you a whole other field of what blue wants to do because this is a blue card. It is a scary blue card. Hmm. I don't like this blue card, and you've <laughs> used it on me, so I'd like you not to do that anymore. <laughs> well, and also keep in mind that when, once you add in some other ingredient to this, like, I mean, any number of cards that say when you cast uh, something that's not a creature, or when you cast an instant or sorcery, like draw a card or something like that, then this just starts getting really, really oppressive. And yeah, it's just not a fun time for anyone who's playing against you. I agree. I've been there. <laughs> Great card, though. That's enough. And it's also used in many other formats. Like, it's not just in Commander you see this. And that's also a way that you can tell that this card has some decent value on it. But moving on to my number one, and I'm going to say, hands down, this is probably the best hidden gem I've found by far. One of the best I've All ever right. found. And I also can't pronounce it. Uh, <laughs> Necrologia? Necrologia. Logia? Yeah, I, I'm illiterate. So either way, Necrologia, it's an instant that costs five mana, three generic and double black. Now, it reads, you can only play this card during your discard phase. But when you do, you pay X life and draw X cards. Now, this card on the surface seems very meh, right? You're like, I'm paying this during the discard phase, so whatever I draw, I'm just kind of filtering and I'm paying life for it, so I can't get a higher cap unless I have something out like a Thought Vessel or some other way to increase my hand size. Well, what's the value of this? Well, 
you, my friend, aren't thinking about this card right. This is inherently a one-turn necropotence that you don't have to worry about, like, waiting for the time to go off. You can go ahead and just make it so you can flat out win the game. If you have a laboratory maniac out and a decent amount of life, fly through the deck. Reach the bottom, you win. Go ahead and make it so, like, you can't lose due to your life total if you have a platinum angel out. Get all the resources you need. There's so many ways this can work. Like, even in a mono black deck, go ahead, use this, pay so much life, fill your grave. If you haven't been able to go ahead and dump stuff out, you now have a viable reason to go ahead and have Living Death, uh, Rise of the Dark Realms. And hey, you probably just drew that card while doing that as well. This is just a ridiculously strong card that it's not a staple in mono black, but I think it really should be. Well, like, this is another thing that I'm like, wow, I definitely did not know this existed until now, and I want to play it. <laughs> because, like you said, <laughs> sure, you need to discard almost all the cards you pick up most of the time. But having an open door to pay your life total however much you want to draw some cards, oh, gee, that never ends up being broken at any point. And especially when we're sitting here saying oh, well, maybe it's not as good as Necropotence. Like, if, if, that's what you, if that's what you're trying to compare this to, like, come on. There's already something wrong there. Necropotence <laughs> is a strong card. It's a very strong card. Yeah, so just the fact that this is around, I mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about, you know, Sir Conrad the Grimm, and I like, I like that card very much. This is, Necropotence is obviously broken with that. Here's yet another way of discarding a bunch of creatures and doing a lot of damage to everyone while also gaining a ton of card advantage. Uh, yeah, kind of absurd when you think about it. And this is almost like a backup. Like, let's say you go ahead and you get Paducah Bogs or Scavenger Ground. Anyone who's ever played with a graveyard deck, you know that pain. You're like, well, there goes those last eight turns. Like, all that's gone. Well, this one card can give you all that value back. Sure, you won't be able to get those exact cards back into your grave, but you will have a grave again, and that alone with one card is, uh, you tell me, how powerful is that? Yeah. No, Stu plays against me. He knows I enjoy living dangerously and paying, like, all of my life total to gain some kind of card advantage. This is definitely my type of card, for sure. I want to use it now. Yeah, it's, well, ever since we saw Bowls the Citadel, it just, it goes into the whole style of, like, what Black does. Yeah, I'll pay life. I have life. Why not get myself some amazing stuff? It's like selling your soul. You know what? I have this soul. I'm not using it, but I could use a nice car right about now. It's like one <laughs> of those kind of things. So it's like, honestly, it's kind of like your own demise. How greedy are you truly trying to be at this moment? And this being a one shot, it's it, again, you're in black. You can tutor this. No problem. It's a great ace in the hole. And I'm not even sure this is a dead card in your hands. Like if you're no. ahead, it's like a win more if you're behind it's a backup plan if it's like you're contestable this filters out what you want and also you're going to discard a lot of stuff you got madness triggers right there i'm just going to say that you could fill your board with a whole bunch of nonsense and yeah, yeah great choice was, yeah very very good hidden gem here i'll take my bow but uh actually i'll do a poll real fast did you know this card existed boom and be honest don't just say yes <laughs> Now, going to your number one, Kyle, is it something a little more uh, impressive? Well, it's not It's not anywhere near this, I don't think, but it's pretty cool. 
My number one is Reconnaissance. Now, we're going way down to the other end of the scale, where this is a one-drop white enchantment. And for zero mana, you can remove target attacking creature you control from combat and untap it. That's all this does, but it's pretty good. You might look at this at first and think, well, why would I really care about or want to move, remove an attacking creature from combat? But there are so many reasons why this is potentially such a powerful effect. I know that when you have a commander or maybe any other type of card that relies on attack triggers to do something, like, you know, this attacks, you can draw a card, or this attacks, you do damage, you're always kind of worried that you're going to end up in a situation where you're forced, if you want card advantage, to attack into an unfavorable situation uh, where you're going to potentially lose that creature. This card, single-handedly, for one mana, one mana, it comes down so early, and for zero, it, that, that's the crazy part about this, basically makes it so that you no longer have to worry about that disadvantage for the rest of the game. Uh, the reason it works the way it does is when you attack, you just untap and remove from combat, so it's not going to get blocked, it doesn't get destroyed, nothing. So uh, there are a lot of decks that could use this. We see it most often with something like Alesha, who smiles at death, you know? Attack, bring something back from the graveyard. Oh, but I don't want her to die, so I'm going to untap her and remove her from combat. I already got my advantage. So that's why this card is pretty great among just many possible other examples. For one mana and zero to activate that ability, it's just, it's crazy. Honestly, I think if they were going to remake this card, it would probably be like, pay so much life and take a creature out. If I were to redesign it, I'd say that'd probably be something like that because you're in white. It kind of has that whole flair and style with it, but it works for attack triggers. Like you're saying, like a Narset deck would also be something really good. And it's a better Dolmen Gate. Dolmen Gate. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, you could, you could have an argument as to which is better. This one certainly comes out earlier, but Dolmen Gate doesn't have a color requirement. Uh, there, you can go back and forth about it. I personally do think this one is better because it untaps the creature for blocking purposes. That's the main reason. Yeah, I agree with you with that. That's That also can go ahead and do that. However, one's a little bit more tutorable. It depends on what your deck style is. And even if you're not all about attack triggers, it's still just a good, solid white card. You just go ahead and you can just stay out. Like, you can play it turn one, and it doesn't feel bad. You can get it late game, and it can still do something viable. At any point in the game, it's still relevant. And if anything, when you play it, you kind of get the same look that opponents give you when you play a Rhystic. They kind of give you this slack-eyed, like, great, this again. <laughs> yeah, this was, it shocks me that, like, the, the, the power level of this card is so high. It's like a, it's like a modern-day power level card printed way back then when Back in a, at a point when I don't really think people had a lot of ways to really abuse it like we do now. So this is just one of those, I think, true hidden gems where you look back at it. It's even, it's an uncommon for God's sake. Like, it should be a rare. By all by all rights, it should at least be a rare, you know? And you can even argue Mythic, I think, for that one too. Like, if they ever did, like, a vault, like, enchantments again, something like that from the vault... I would not be surprised for this card to be in here. It's got, like, again, that sneakiness that we saw with Sensei's Divining Top. People just kind of neglected it. This is another card people just kind of neglected. I believe this one's gone up in price since we've uh, originally done uh, grabbed the cards for this. But, again, yeah. it's still such an amazing card. It 
just does everything you want, and it's definitely not better than my card. But either way, I'll oh. digress from that statement. Um, actually, no, we'll change it. We're not going to do that one poll. We'll do another one. Who had a better top one card, Stuart Kyle? <laughs> All right, fine. Well, I think that about wraps it up for this video. Um, of course, you can always follow us on any form of social media you want. We have Tapped Out, where we keep all our deck lists. We have pages on Facebook and an account on Twitter. You can follow us there. And we're on Reddit. We have our own subreddit now. All of it is at that handle, The Card Pool. So look us up. Give us a follow. Show us how you appreciate our work. I mean, we hope you do. We'd like you to. Uh, you caught me speechless on that ending right there, Kyle. <laughs> but we also have uh, an affiliate link with TCG Player. If you go ahead and you shop cards from there, or if you're interested in shopping any of these cards we talked about, go to there, but check on the link. Uh, click on the link down below in the description before you go ahead and check out. It lets TCG Player know that we sent you there to a degree, and it means also that you like what we do and they should take note. And it helps the channel a lot, which we really appreciate. But until then, I'm Stu. And I'm Kyle. And we'll, we'll see, you, see next you next time, time at, at the, the carpool. Car. That's that see, might we'll be better. better. We'll get there. <laughs> God.